Hey, welcome everybody. Uh, so, <laughs> my name is Isaac. Uh, I have the honor and privilege of being one of the pastors here at Calvary Chapel. Uh, I get to oversee the youth. Um, and so on nights where uh, our fearless leader is away, then I get to uh, sometimes hop in and, and bring the word. So before I do anything else, uh, just like normal, I don't want anything of myself to get in the way of what the Holy Spirit has, um, because if it's anything of me, it's going to fall flat. It's not going to be um, anything that's going to be edifying, and so I want the Holy Spirit to speak through me at all times. So if you pray with me, uh, Lord God, I come before you just thankful, thankful for the opportunity to step up here and really take this earnestly, Lord God, and, and just the, the honor that it is to be able to bring your word and exposit your word to your people. And um, Father, I pray that you would open the ears uh, to hear uh, the words that you have to say. I pray that um, the words that you would have, Holy Spirit, would go out like seeds of truth and they would be planted deep in the hearts. I pray that it would be nothing of myself, uh, Father, that my flesh or pride or anything of that nature would never get in the way, but um, that I would humbly just um, proclaim your word and your truth. Uh, so we just give you thanks for tonight and pray for your grace to be upon us all. Amen. All right, so Romans 1, uh, 1 through 7 is the text. And so I'll have you guys stand with me as we usually do for the reading of the scripture. Got to make sure I'm on translation. All right, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born in the seed, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are call, are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and pray that uh, as we study tonight that it would penetrate our hearts. I thank you that your word would be written on, our, on the tablet of our heart that we might not sin against you, and just pray that this would penetrate our souls. In Jesus' name, thank you. Amen. All right, so Romans 1, 1 through 7. I was very excited when uh, Ben gave me this specific passage to teach on because I've been kind of digging into Romans. Um, it's just an amazing, solid book of just really understanding how we're supposed to be as Christians, Right? massive instruction from Paul. So as we dive into this, there's four things that I want you to be mindful of. The first is who is the author? Second, what is it about? Third, who is it addressed to? And fourth, how does this apply to our lives? Right? These are the four questions that I want on your mind as, as we're going through this. Uh, so the first one we can answer right away, right? Um, it'll, it'll say it coming up in the, in the first verse, right? Paul, um, most of the sources that I looked up said Paul wrote this around 57 AD in his, uh, in his third trip to Corinth. Um, so he had not been to Rome yet, to the church of Rome to visit them. So Romans 1.1. So Paul's letter to the Romans has to start with credibility um, because he was not the founder of the church in Rome. But his heart is to give instruction that will produce growth. And so we see 
Uh, all throughout verse 1, he starts off with Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He's giving his, his resume to them, like, check this out. This is the credibility that I come with. And we know that he hasn't been to Rome yet, because in Romans 1.11, he says, For I long to see you that I may impart uh, to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Romans 1.12, that it is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and of me. So he hasn't been there yet, but he's writing to tell them he's, he's excited. He wants to be going. So a bit of Paul's history, right? So we know who the author is. It's Paul. So if we jump over to Philippians 3, right? If you have your Bibles, you can follow me there. Philippians 3, we're going to read verses 4 through 8. And this is kind of like the, the, the runabout that Paul gives of, of him in a, in, a, in a different context, but it's, it highlights his persona, right? Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I have more. So already Paul is saying like, I'm the man, right? This is me. This I have, like, I can have pride in this. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness, which is the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me were gained to me. These I have counted for loss. For, or these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So right in this passage, we see Paul, right? He was the cream of the crop, right? Pharisee of Pharisees, like he was the man. And he counts all of that as loss, for Christ, right? All of his great works that he did as a, as a Pharisee and all these established things, the, the smartness and everything else, he counts as loss. So we see that he's uh, in a humble position, right? He's smart, he's knowledgeable, but he's humble. He's like, I count it all loss for Christ. Reading in Acts 9 uh, will give you a, a clear picture of how Paul went from persecuting the church to the point of the man he describes himself to be in Romans 1.1, right? A bond servant. So he went from killing Christians and persecuting them as he lays out in verse 6, persecuting the church concerning the righteous, which in the law, blameless, right? Killing people to a bond servant of Christ. So a bond servant also meaning doulos in Greek, meaning one who is subservient to and, entire, and entirely at the disposal of his master, a slave. Entirely at the disposal of. That means he's a bondservant. So anything that Christ wants, he does. Also, the, the Hebrew word for bondservant can be a bed. It has similar connotation. The Mosaic law only allowed a slave to be owned for six years. And on the seventh year... Uh, they would have to be set free. But the slave can choose to continue his service to his master of his own accord, right? So after six years, he's to be let go. But he can choose, if he loves the master and his family, 
right? He can choose of his own accord to stay. Uh, So we look in Exodus 21, verses 5 and 6, and he gives us a depiction of that. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door or to the doorposts, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So this means that that servant is making a choice to stay a slave to his master forever. No longer is it something that's forced, right? There was lots of, lots of conditions where somebody would have to be working off a debt, and so they'd have to become a slave, right? Or there was some kind of penalty for a choice that they did. So Paul is saying, when he's saying, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, he's saying, I'm choosing to be a slave to Christ. I'm choosing to be subservient to whatever he wants of me. Called to be an apostle. Apostolos, the definition of apostolos, uh, is a delegate, a messenger, one sent forth with orders. So an apostle is a messenger, is someone sent forth with orders, separated to the gospel of God. Being separated to something is a lot different than being separated from something, right? When we want to separate ourselves from something, we want to take ourselves away from that. If you're having something that's influencing you in the incorrect way in your life, you want to separate yourself from it, right? So it can't have that influence over you. When you're separated to something, you're wanting to put yourself in that position so you can be influenced by, right? So Paul is saying, separated to the gospel of God. So he's, what is he being separated from? He's being separated from that old life of being a Pharisee, and he's being separated to the gospel of God. What is the gospel of God? The good news, Jesus Christ. Acts 13, 2 and 3 As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. An apostle, or as an apostle called, he is clarifying that he is sent out for the sake of the gospel. As we read the definition of apostle, right? Messenger, one sent forth with orders. A messenger would most definitely have a message. So Paul is stating here that he's a slave to Jesus Christ. He's called to be a messenger. A messenger of what? Of the good news that he's separated for. No longer is he a Pharisee, but he's separated for the good news of Christ. And he's a messenger to bring that good news. Two through four, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. This just packed right here. So let's, let's start off. We'll break it down a bit. Uh, so I'm going to kind of join because two rolls into three. A buddy of mine once said, you know, the original text wasn't uh, numbered. It was written. And so there's things that that roll into each other. And so we're going to roll in verse 2 and the first part of verse 3, which he promised there before through his prophets in the Holy Scripture concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So he's talking about the gospel, the gospel of God that he promised 
before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, right, through the text, concerning what? Concerning his son, Jesus Christ. And I love it because Paul, again, right, going back to one, a bondservant of Christ, what does he do right there at the, at the midway point through three, right? Christ our Lord, right, our master, he's giving him that, that place of authority over him again through his text. So from this first part, we can look back and we could refer to Isaiah 53, the whole chapter. But I'm just going to point out one verse. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. I encourage you to read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53, right? Isaiah was a prophet. And so we're looking at Isaiah because he says, because Paul is saying, which he promised through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So we're lining that up with what he promised. Isaiah proclaiming what was going to happen with Christ. Then we move down a bit further and we see the rest of three. Who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. So we have to trace that lineage, right? So Nathan speaks a prophetic word to David out of 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. So we see that Christ is the good news. Paul is set apart to proclaim the good news. He's born of the flesh. The seed of David goes down through the lineage And then we get to four. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. Matthew 3.16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So now we've seen that it lines up with the seed of the flesh. And now we see that it lines up with the Spirit, declared to be the Son of God, by God himself. This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Which brings us to the resurrection from the dead. It says, by the resurrection from the dead. What is by the resurrection from the dead? Power according to the Spirit of holiness. So the power from the resurrection. I've heard it said before in in many of sermons, right? That if Christ would have died and would have stayed dead and not risen, he would have been no different. No different than lots of other spiritual gurus and and people who have been false prophets and different things that have come before. That's where the power lies, is in the resurrection. That's the good news. The thing that Paul has been separated for, to proclaim, to bring the message of, that's where the power is. Christ died and rose again on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus was the stamp of spiritual power as God. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So the power of the resurrection is the power of the good news, the thing that Paul has been separated for, the message that he's bringing, five through seven. 
I get excited when I get to dig into the scriptures, and I'm totally pausing for a second. Um, I always want to make sure that I'm representing the text the right way. And so this, this bit of scripture was a lot of, a lot of fun for me and just an opportunity for me to really allow the Lord to, to speak to my, to my heart because there's so many directions I would want to go. So just figured I would, I would share that before diving into it. So through him, we have received grace and apostleship for the obedience to faith among all the nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. It is with the receiving of grace that makes it possible for us to be sent out as a messenger with good news. Here Paul refers to himself and the disciples and how they are shown grace and given that apostleship so that they might be obedient to the faith among all the nations for his name. What are they being obedient to? They're being obedient to the message that they've been given. They've been sent out with a message. If they were sent out with a message and they went out and they relayed a different message, that'd be being disobedient. That would be spreading something false. So he's, he's restating here. He's saying that we, by grace, have been made apostles. He knows his past. He's not unaware of what he did before he was met on the road to Damascus and blinded by Christ. And Christ said, Paul, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, who you've been persecuting. Paul hasn't forgotten what he's been redeemed from. We should not forget what we've been redeemed from. There's power in understanding that we have grace on our life. And it's by grace and grace alone that we're here. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. So Paul is letting the Romans know, right, the Roman church, that it's not just all the nations, but it's you also that we have been called, that we have been sent to come and bring this good news, bring this report. I feel like we can look at this from a, a place of a calling that we have as well. Um, I had written down, I think I did. So the apostles were commanded by Christ to teach all, to observe all the things he commanded them, from which includes the text in verse 19 of Matthew. So we go to Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So this command, this state of orders that Paul has been given as a messenger we're to mimic, right? We're to go and make disciples. We're not just to, to stand around and, and do nothing, but this is a, a calling for us as well to go, to preach the good news. We can take this to heart. So Paul is speaking to the Romans in the way of saying that we also will come to you, but he's also saying, hey, go, spread to all who, in, who are in Rome, beloved by God, called to be saints. He is reminding the Romans that they are also called in the same way to share the good news and inspire the true obedience to the faith that is the gospel of God. Matthew twenty-two fourteen 14 says, Many are called, but few are chosen. 
We're called to be saints, as you know, just because you are called something doesn't automatically make you it. Just because you're called something doesn't make you automatically it. And this is within context, right? So here's, here's a little context of what I'm talking about. I can say that I'm an amazing musician all I want, right? But if I don't put in the time and the effort and the energy that goes into becoming a great musician, there's no way I'll be even able to carry a tune. So many all are called, right? But it takes putting in the work for it. We're saved by grace. Let's not mix this up. We're saved by grace, right? But like Paul has said before about working out our salvation, right? In Philippians, it's by our works, the things that we do, that we're refined. We have to make sure that we're not just trying to claim a title without putting in the work and the action needed. If you want to know Jesus better or more, get into his word. Read the Bible. I've said this before and I'll say it again. My wife calls it basic instructions before leaving earth. And it is just that. It is written out so that we can partake. If you want to understand how to be more like the title of a saint and not just claim the title and live like the rest of the world, get into the word of God. Let it saturate your soul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul finishes up verse 7, and he lets them know, hey, this is me. I'm called to do this. I'm talking to you. I want to encourage you to do the same. But I also know that as I encourage you to do the same, that you need just as much grace as I need. And so he finishes with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I was reading through commentaries, uh, Chuck Smith had a, had a, a, a comment on this that uh, I'd like to read to you guys. So it says, grace and peace, the conjoined twins of the New Testament, they're always coupled together and always in that order. I don't recall of any place in the New Testament where it says peace and grace, but it always, but it is always grace and peace. Why? Why? Because you cannot really know the peace of God until you have experienced the grace of God. Now, there was years in my Christian experience that I really didn't have the peace of God. I had peace with God that was established through the death of Jesus Christ, but I didn't have the peace of God because I was going about my own works to establish a righteous standing before God. As long as I was seeking my effort by my effort, to be righteous before God, I never found peace. There was always a struggle in my Christian experience. I was always trying to be a little better and always promising that I would do better. I was restless. I never had peace until I had experienced the grace of God. And then I understood what it is all about. Grace and peace. Grace is always first. And if you haven't yet experienced the grace of God, then you really don't know the peace of God in your life yet. I want to fully encourage you, if you have so much turmoil going on in your life right now, and you don't have the peace of God, you need to start praying and asking for his grace, really seeking, seeking out that grace. I, I stand from a position of like honestly saying that any day, right, my stress levels go like this, 
And the reason why they go like this is because everything in the world and things that go on in my life as being a father and a business owner and trying to be a good servant to Christ, like everything starts to pile up and it goes here and I start to feel anxious. And then I remember Isaiah 26.3, for you keep in perfect peace a man whose mind is stayed on you and trusts in you, O God. And then I'm like, oh yeah, God already knows my tomorrow. And then the peace of God comes over me because I know that his grace is sufficient for what I'm dealing with in my life. So when I can recognize that grace, I can feel and be wrapped up in his peace. If you're struggling to find that point of grace, or if maybe you've never known the true grace of his forgiveness, spend time with the Lord. Dive in. I come back to seeking out the Lord through his word every single time, but that's where he's found. If I wanted to have a better relationship with Steve and figure out how he would react to certain things, I would spend time with Steve. I would hang out with Steve. I would figure out the things that he likes or the way that he reacts. I would figure out the words that maybe make him laugh or the things that he feels like are kind of dumb, right? I would want to know his heart and things. So that way when something happens, I know his heart behind it. I was sitting in a cafe with my friend and I had a glass and I was like, getting to know the Lord through reading his word every day is like if I took this glass and I threw it on the ground and then waited for your response. You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to laugh hysterically because I'm like making fun of like old tradition and I would like another and it's a great drink or you're going to stand up and be ready to go. But that all is established in you knowing my heart. Because if you don't know if I'm doing it out of anger or if I'm doing it out of just immaturity, right? So if we want to know God's heart, if we want to know that truth for us, we have to spend time with him. So if you want to know the grace of God that is followed up with the surrounding peace that comes from him, you have to put in the work and spend time with him. Have to. We are saved by grace, but our relationship is built on the work that we put in. Told you that fourth point is how do we apply this to our life? James lays it out perfectly. But, he, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what, he, what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Let Paul's letter of Romans 1, 1 through 7 ring true to you. Take hold of it. Every single one of us, if you've received the good news of Christ, it's not just something that you should do. You're commanded by the King of kings and Lord of lords to proclaim the good news. So if you're not doing that, you're being a disobedient servant. You're being like the man who looks in the mirror and turns away and forgets what he is. If you're redeemed, start acting it. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for your truth. Lord, I pray that exactly what your Holy Spirit wanted to say tonight would be said. I pray that um, it would really penetrate the soft spots on our hearts, that we would all be encouraged, that it's not by actions that we are saved. We are saved by your grace, but it is through your grace that we are given the opportunity to put to work our faith like James encourages, because faith without works is dead. Help us to be encouraged 
Help us to be influencers of those around us instead of being influenced by those around us. I pray that you would help us to be concerned with the message that you have given us, that you have commanded us to share. Let us every single day be looking to be separated for your gospel, not conforming to the things of this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Thank you for your peace that follows the grace that you poured out upon us. We thank you so much, Father, for the good news, the good news that you died and rose again and made that a sacrifice to cover our sins, Father. If we should believe in our hearts and proclaim with our mouths that you are Lord and repent and turn from our sin, that we will be saved. That is the good news that we should proclaim. We thank you. Amen.